This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Here comes Sacramento. Three on one. Bagley the step. Bagley with the dunk. And you can put it in the book and send it to the left. There it is. Buddy Hill alone at the top. Of the Kings record book. Oh, I like to see Fox Force 5 in the open court. Fox into the lane. Oh, if you don't like that, you don't like Kings basketball. Welcome back to another episode of the King's Pulse Podcast. My name is Brendan Nunez. Got Rich Ivanowski on here as we always do. How you doing, Rich? I'm doing good, man. Uh, I'm doing good, and I'm excited to talk about the San Antonio Spurs because I think you and I and much of Kings Nation has identified San Antonio as potentially the vulnerable team that the Kings hope might one day fall out of the playoffs, but they still have Greg Popovich as their coach. So uh, it's tough to say, but today we have Bruno Passos from Pounding the Rock. That's the Spurs blog for SB Nation with us today. Uh, to help break it down. How are you doing today, Bruno? I'm doing very well, thanks. Uh, yeah, thanks, thanks for having me. Yeah, we appreciate you coming on, man. And uh, we'd like to start with recapping a little bit of last season. And, uh, you know, San Antonio was in that seven seed, but the same record as the eight, speed, eight seed Clippers, 48 and 34. What were some of your takeaways from DeRozan's first year in San Antonio and any of the other players that you feel like will be um, – transferable over into this season yes last season was uh, obviously uh, a different one in san antonio in a lot of ways um the, the year before was different in its own way with everything that happened with Kawhi. obviously that carried over into the summer when they had no real choice but to trade him brought demar DeRozan, and so the for a team that's usually uh, so that one of their strengths is continuity, they really had to learn on the fly, and so did DeRozan, and um, adapting to a new environment for the first time. So, uh, you know, the, the team was extremely up and down. Pop uh, would, would always characterize it as, uh, you know, he just didn't know what to expect from one game to the next, uh, specifically with the defense. Uh, he, the Spurs, another thing that they've always hung their hat on is being uh, one of the, the best five or ten defenses in the league that went out the window there were a few months when they were at the, the just the bottom of the league with that um and DeRozan for the Kawhi swap is obviously part of that but they lost Danny Green so and Kyle Anderson so it was uh, a lot of just these new parts trying to make sense of it all um DeRozan to his credit had a had a great year he became more of a facilitator I think he was 21 six and six last year six assists so he, I think, did a great job of assimilating into the system, uh, as and Lamarcus did to kind of play off him. Um, and so it was it was a bit of a uh, a shaky year at times, but uh, they had a few um, standout uh, kind of players come into their own, like Derek White. So uh, you know they managed to keep their heads above water, and they're hoping to see that transition into this coming season by retaining most of their players. So. Um, yeah, it, it was it was a, an odd year, but hopefully they're 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 trying to see the the right things uh, carry over and uh, build upon that. Yeah, so it is kind of going back a little bit to talk about the Kawhi trade, but I am curious about it. I have not spoken with anyone that covers the Spurs about the trade since then, so I do wonder what your thoughts were on the value received there. Um, Kawhi went out, also Danny Green. Um, you know, who became a very important piece for Toronto and has been a very important piece on many playoff teams. Um, in the past, uh, they received uh, Jake, uh, Jakob Pertl. Uh, they received a first-round pick that was assumed to be late, and it was indeed very late, turned into pick 29. And DeRozan, of course, as you mentioned, you know, I, I guess I wonder about your feeling on this trade overall, and do you think there were 
other trades out there that could have been maybe more future focused rather than the piece of DeMar DeRozan? And if at the time, if that's what you wanted and, and now if that's changed. Um, it, it's so, I, I obviously, uh, Kawhi did a, a pretty great job of tanking his own value through that season. So, um, I think it's always a bit unfair when, uh, comparisons are made to the Spurs return for Kawhi compared to say what uh, the Pelicans got with, from Anthony Davis. You know, p- people were very, uh, unsure about what his, his medical, uh, was going on because of how secretive, um, all of that play, just how in the dark everyone was. So uh, at the time, I, I, I thought it was a, a finer turn. You know, uh, they, they got uh, the draft pick, uh, which, you know, at least something to look towards the future for. But also in, in DeRozan, they got, you know, a, a, a solid piece back that could keep things going uh, in the meantime, because this was a team still built to ideally win in, in, the, in the present. You know, the, that's how the team had been built around Kawhi to, um, you know, be a contender. So. I think to the, the idea that they would scrap all of that and sort of really just move fully into the future, it was, it was not realistic. Um, it was never going to happen. So I think, uh, and, and getting a, a guy in Jakob as well, who uh, ended up making his way into the starting lineup and learning the system uh, and uh, made a real difference down the stretch last year. So um, it, it, compared to what, what other teams have gotten for a similar level of player, obviously, objectively not as good but uh, I think when you really consider the position that they were in and and there there certainly weren't many reported deals out there that still seem better in hindsight so um, it's obviously the talks with the Lakers one with a certain combination of the young players but even then you know it's 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 I, I think most Spurs fans are still happy enough with with the return and I think just trying to put that uh Yeah, like you mentioned, you're never going to get quote-unquote fair value when a guy is forcing out. And like you mentioned, the injury questions around him as well, or health questions. Um, You knew what you were kind of getting into Rosen, I feel like. And, you know, Popovich did uh, utilize some other areas of his game, like the passing that you pointed out uh, more than what we had saw in Toronto. But what were your impressions of Jacob Pertle? I know you touched on it briefly, but where do you see him uh, continuing to progress and what sort of player do you see him becoming? One of the first things, just from being uh, up close and some scrums with Jakob, you, you see that he's uh, an extremely intelligent person. Like, uh, I don't want to, you know, say that other players aren't necessarily, but he, he has... Um, he takes every question. Uh, you can tell that he's, he, the, the things are turning at a very high level. So um, I think that really helped with him getting uh, an understanding of the Spurs system early and, and becoming such a useful player in, in his first year in San Antonio, which is really hard to do, especially for um, a sort of role player. So um, I, I think he, he did really well. He, he anchored the defense very well and um, became a, a really effective screen setter and role man. Uh, for the second unit, while also um, whenever he was mixed up in the starting lineup, uh, made a really good impact on the defense there as well. So um, I, I think the outlook for him is is, is good. I don't see appeal um, into that going into this season being a part of that starting lineup, but um, just being that big man role uh, role man screen setter in a heavy motion system that we'll probably see with the second unit. I think he's going to have a, another really solid year. Yeah, and I wonder about the role that DeMar DeRozan is going to play with this franchise going forward. You know, obviously, he's a big part of the present. I wonder about the future, though. He is uh, 30 years old now. Um, he does, you know, his his sort of shot profile is one that is that should be inefficient, tends not to be, because that's the, that's the Spurs' whole thing, is they take these looks that, most teams don't take and they hit them. And that's like, that's just their bread and butter is this weird long two game that, and you know, they are very efficient with the shots that, that are high efficiency shots as well. Uh, the volume tends to be lower, but DeRozan is just kind of a, a throwback player is kind of an odd guy, hard to understand in this league, how his fit will be. But um, you know, is this, do you feel like uh, the Spurs are embracing him as one of their, 
their leading players over the next couple of years? Or do you think that the younger guys, um, DeJounte Murray, Derek White coming up behind him might take the reins here pretty soon? So they're not saying anything specifically to the the long-term future uh, about too many players at all, really. So DeRozan sort of exempt from that speculation, at least from what, what the team's saying. But it, it, it's hard to say. It's, it's mostly for the reasons you said. Not only is, is he not necessarily, um, you know, the, the banner of uh, uh, the poster boy for efficiency in the modern NBA, but it's not it's, – it's hard to say how that game is, is going to age as he uh, continues along the wrong side of 30. Um, he has to work pretty hard for those uh, mid-range looks that he gets and does hit better than a lot of other players. Um, and, uh, you know, he's, he's not been, uh, you could say, a positive defender as well, which is such an important part of what, what San Antonio does. So it's hard to say. I think he's, he's got uh, one more year uh, that's partially guaranteed. After, you know, he's got one more. He's got an option, I think, next summer. So, um there were questions that uh, at least one question that came up in media day about what if he was expecting to be extended. He nothing really came from that question. Um, so uh, I'd be surprised if, if it happened really. Um, but yeah, there, there's, there's a litany of young players, uh, especially specifically guards uh, in San Antonio right now, who many people would like to see, you know, what they could do and what their ceilings are. And, um, you know, DeRozan there, would not necessarily facilitate that, that process. So uh, it, it's hard to say. There's, there's not really a definitive answer, but um, I think the team is going to, you know, play it by ear, see how things go, see uh, what happens this season. Uh, but, you know, I, I, don't, I wouldn't say that they're uh, prepared to, you know, rebuild uh, around him right now. Yeah, and they do have that promising young point guard who was the youngest All-NBA selection ever in DeJounte Murray uh, coming back from injury. But you just saw a breakout year in Derek White uh, sort of replacing him as DeJounte went down with that ACL tear. How do you feel like they manage that towards the beginning of the year? You know, one of them will play their way into more minutes, I feel like. But uh, out the gate, who do you feel like is going to be given more opportunity? It's really interesting. I, the way they handle DeJounte uh, is, is going to be super interesting. They talked about how they, they don't necessarily want to throw him into the fire, um, you know, coming back from that injury. And I, I think that's the right initial stance to take. And, um, yeah, there are they, two players who uh, have, both have similar strengths. They're both big guards who can do a little bit of creating for their teammates, but their strengths really are, uh, you know, that sort of point of attack. Uh, defense and um, an ability to rebound and, and really help on that end. So eventually it would be great to see the two of them playing alongside each other and locking opposing backcourts down for the next five or, you know, five or seven years. But uh, I, I, if, if I had to guess, I think they're going to see how things go in, in, in training camp and maybe, maybe they, they, they show that they can play well together. But um, I, I would like to see them maybe continue with Derek White as the, the, um, tentative starter right now and maybe work Murray back a little bit off the bench, see how things go and um, maybe playing with a, a unit that's going to be a little bit more spread out could kind of help him in being a guy who not, it isn't necessarily a shooter right now. So um, if, I, if I was to guess, I think that would be the, the, the smarter way, but um, I think we're, we're going to see and get a better idea of that as uh, within the next few weeks. Are you currently paying off student debt, interested in improving your financial literacy, or looking for new ways to earn income in today's ever-changing digital landscape? Well, on the Talk Money with Mesh Lakani podcast, Mesh will follow paper trails, chat with experts, and break down complex ideas to bring clarity to the mystical financial phenomena. Each episode will be filled with compelling stories covering a broad range of subjects, from buying Bitcoin, dealing with student debt, and everything in between. Listen to Talk Money with Mesh Lakani on Spotify or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts and learn how to spend, invest, and earn for today's economy. So we talked about DeRozan, uh, and I wanted to ask about Marcus Aldridge as well. These are kind of the two stars of this team, you could say. And, you know, that's liable to change the way that the Spurs develop players. And we've mentioned Derek White and and Murray as well. Uh, More stars could pop up at any time, but... Aldridge is is really getting up there in age, 34, but his game's still staying together. 
He's also uh, not a particularly modern player. Um, and I just I, I want to I want to know what your thoughts are on him. Uh, he's got that non guarantee in the following season. This year he's guaranteed non guaranteed the next year. Looking towards the future with him and and focusing, I guess, mostly on his role this season, which I would assume is not going to be drastically changed. You know, what do you think the plans are with Aldridge going forward? Yeah, Aldridge all of a sudden is, I think, the second uh, most tenured, longest tenured spur, uh, which is wild considering, uh, you know, when he first came, it was a bit of a, not, not an ideal fit. There was some trouble with, um, there was just some uh, issues, I think, with how, how he was being used and whatnot. But um, yeah, all of a sudden he's, you know, can sort of see the, the face of the franchise. And so, um, again, yeah, getting older and, and um, questions about just how a game like that might age. Uh, at least for next season, I think Aldridge is going to be um, great again. You know, he's um, he, he gets that, that shot of his, uh, he can get it off against anybody. And uh, he's as, as a sort of true, a big power forward who can now thrive in, 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 in this game against uh, – most centers and, and, and just bully everybody else in, in the post. Um, he's just a big body and a lot to handle when he does decide to mix it up down there. And uh, he's really become a, a, a solid positional defender uh, as well uh, over the past few years. And um, so I, I think the team, uh, if, if, if he was to stay in for the, for the longer term, retire us for, I think that that could work out pretty well, but it's, it's going to really depend on um his plans and just kind of how some of the other guys go around him. I know there's been uh, the occasional quote coming out of him that he'd, he'd love to retire uh, back in Portland. So he might have his own plans as well um, once he enters uh, free agency, but um, we'll see. I think if the, the team might be a little bit more inclined between their two uh, sort of stars right now to keep LaMarcus, but um, I think his status can more or less be grouped with, with DeRozan right now is, uh, you know, see how things go, but also, um, you know, there, there's, there's no uh, expectation that um, they, they will, you know, stay and, and retire us for. Yeah. And uh, there, there is nice flexibility and options with this team. They don't have anything stuck with them for all too long, at least those two uh, major contracts of DeRozan and Aldridge. And then, the other guy that's coming back before we get into some of the new pieces is Rudy Gay, re-signed for two years, $32 million, and had a really good year last year. You know, some of his best percentages, actually it looks like his best field goal and three-point percentage of his entire career at age 32. Um, you know, it's kind of, ex not expected, but uh, it was a contract season, you know. So do you put it on that, or do you expect uh, Rudy Gay to have – similar sort of uh, efficiency this year? What are you expecting to have from him over the length of this contract? Yeah, the, the three-point shooting last year, I think he finished over maybe over around 40%. I'm, I'm, I'm not sure, but there was times when he was hovering easily in the 40s um, and just uh, knocking down shots from not only just from the corners but above the break, um, uh, playing out of his mind. So I think some, some of that efficiency on that end uh, may end up being a slight outlier when you compare it to the rest of his career and next season. But um, there's a lot of, uh, you know, things to like about Gay um, in the next few years. He's still coming off, you know, getting a little bit more uh, his legs back after uh, that, uh, um, I believe it was an Achilles injury in Sacramento, was it? Um, so I think he's about two, two and a half years removed from that. Um, and, and he, you know, he, you saw more, uh, more of a burst from him last season. Um, so, I, and, and, and there's the issue again of, of, of him as, as a, a new arrival in San Antonio, getting familiar with the system, not always doing what pop wanted on offense or defense. So uh, third year in San Antonio, um, I think you're going to really see him playing within the system a bit more. And uh, there, there's going to be benefits there for San Antonio as well. So um, I, I, I like I like him at least through next season, and then um, you know we'll see if, if uh, age starts taking its toll. Getting now to the new additions, uh, starting with the rookies. I want to talk about uh, these picks. There was two firsts and a second rounder as well, who is now on a two-way contract. Uh, Lucas Samanich, uh, 
drafted 16th, Kelvin Johnson 29th, Quindary Weatherspoon at 49. Uh, what's your excitement level for these guys? And uh, just to throw this in there, I had heard that the Spurs were after Goga Pitad's day. And that when that pick went out from uh, right before them, it seems like Luca, you know, I mean, I don't know. <laughs> Next year on the board, I'm being very reductive, but it does seem like that's the Spurs type of player. Uh, they could probably they probably see something raw in him and could mold. But but what's your level of excitement, especially for Luca and Kelvin? With Luca, you definitely have to think that the team saw something they really liked in him, especially uh, when you look at the players that were still on the board there at um, at 19. You had uh, Brandon Clark. Uh, who ended up going to Memphis, uh, Grant Williams, who went to Boston, I thought would have been a fun fit in San Antonio, and very much a, a Spursy guy. So th- there were there were a lot of options there, and then this year, Little, who was Portland, um, that I think people were a lot more excited about just because of the brand name. So uh, when people found that it was uh, yet another uh, Euro that the Spurs were drafting, it seemed a little bit too on brand. But I think for that reason that they went for, for somebody that wasn't the flashy pick, I think there's reason to be excited there because they saw something that they definitely liked in, in Luca, um, and you, you can sort of see how he fits with the other players uh, that are coming up in this youth movement. You know, he's a, a big man who endures some uh, do a bit of creation, uh, but he can be a grab and go type of guy and just push the ball up the floor off the rebound. Um, there's the potential for a three point shot. I don't think the numbers uh, back in Europe really backed it up just yet, but. Um, the form looks good, and I think the Spurs, especially after uh, losing in seven games to the Nuggets and just being punished by Nikola Jokic, and I think it, it, that series really exposed one of the kind of weaknesses in their team, and especially where the playoffs really highlighted is not having that ability to create from uh, a big man like Lamarcus and not being able to really generate offense for him that way. Uh, was um, a bit of an issue at times, just getting through going. And with the Nuggets, you saw the opposite. You saw a big man who could just really affect the game in so many different ways uh, and uh, a glimpse of uh, just, I think, where the league is going. And I think that was that direction, pointing the the, vec- the team's vector that way was one of the reasons with the, the, the Simon H. Pick. You know, there was quite an interesting off-season move that ended up not happening. Obviously, Marcus Morris uh, verbally agreeing to a two-year, $20 million, and then San Antonio moving Davis, Ber- Davis Bertans to, uh, in a sign-and-trade to get Damari Carroll back from Brooklyn on a three-year, $20 million. And uh, yesterday, or when media day was, I don't know if it was actually yesterday, uh, Popovich commented on that a bit, saying it was – unprofessional can you just sort of talk through uh what the experience was like for the spurs fan base going through that marcus morris situation yeah the, the, the team itself has definitely not gotten over it yet you could tell from uh Pop's response because uh he could have elected to just sort of move past it as he does with uh you know not four, five out of uh six questions that get thrown his way but he decided to address it and he, he talked about it specifically what you said about um yeah being uh disappointed with uh, with Morris and the way he went about it. And I think he also added that um, when asked that uh, Morris hadn't really reached out um, to sort of apologize or whatever. Um, so the, the team isn't happy. Fans, I think, uh, uh, will be equally unhappy because uh, uh, opening night will be the Spurs revenge night. They'll be hosting the, the Knicks in San Antonio. So uh, it'll be fresh on the, the fan base's mind when he comes into town. So we'll, 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 it'll be... Uh, interesting to be in the building when uh, Marcus Morris, of all people, gets uh, a heavy dose of booing from uh, the people in the AT&T Center. But um, yeah, it was, it was a really weird and uh, unfortunate set of events because uh, Davis Bertans was, uh, you know, he, he was a really important contributor for the team. I don't know if he was ever going to ascend to uh, another level of, of role with the team just because of some of his shortcomings on defense. But uh, I believe last year he had one of the best, or perhaps the best net rating of any. Uh, player on the team he just he did so much for spreading the floor and um, uh, especially at that position which is always uh, a welcome skill to have so to lose him for nothing like that when you could have at least gotten an asset back is um, uh, extremely disappointing and they obviously tried to um, uh, 
not say face, but at least recover a little bit with uh, by picking up Trey Lyles later and getting somebody at that uh, big wing uh, four position. But um, you know they really like Morris, and um, you know they 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 I think it's a team that's trying to restore a bit of that gritty defense that they've had in years past. So um, to lose him like that and and in, in that way was uh, a, a tough blow. Yeah, you mentioned Trey Lyles. That's where I wanted to go next. He got the two-year, $11 million deal, second year, non-guaranteed there. Uh, you know, it's interesting. I mean, this is a guy who is still only 23, was a lottery pick, definitely some upside, never really showed that lottery talent or never really, uh, you know, talent's not the right word, never, never showed the production that you would expect out of a lottery guy. Um you know, he'll be 24 soon, but he did – if you look at his numbers on a per 36-minute basis, they're very nice. I mean, this is an 18-8 and eight type of guy per 36. Uh, some nice assist numbers in there as well. But what do you think that his role is going to be this season, and do you expect Pop to try to unlock something special in Trey Lyles? Uh, I hope so. Um, the fact that it's two years and not one at least gives a, for a little bit of a you know a runway for for that to happen and, and less pressure um, immediately uh, for, for all parties because it, it's it's going to be I think tough to to, to get minutes for him when uh, he's playing at a at a sort of big wing position with uh, Rudy Gay and Damari Carroll who they also brought brought on as well. But um, yeah, Lyles in theory, the theory of Lyles. Um, is, is, is a really interesting player. He's a, you know, a, a multi-skilled big who uh, the Spurs obviously have, have had a lot of success with that with Boris Diaw for a good run. Um, and you can, you know, if you squint, you can see some of the same uh, abilities there as a, as a big who can do multiple things on offense. Um, and he, one of, one of the other interesting things that I thought about is he, he's got a similar profile to the other uh, rookie that the Spurs drafted. The summer, uh, Keldon Johnson, in that uh, both came into both played at Kentucky. Both came into Kentucky as a, I think, with a pretty high profile. Uh, Johnson was one of the highest ranked uh, players in the country, and I think Trey Lyles, even though he's Canadian, was was Mister Indiana. Um, and I think the Spurs even said that um, they, one of the reasons they identified Johnson was that he played in uh, Kentucky as a you know highly heralded prospect. And uh, those guys sometimes in playing in a, a system like Kentucky with so many talented players, they don't always quite get um, uh, to show themselves out so much. So that's one of the reasons why they, they, they thought uh, they, they got to get a, a good steal in Johnson at 29. So Lyles, um, you know, in theory, there's a similar, similar pedigree there. And, um, you know, I think they're going to bank that uh, previous teams, Dallas or Utah and Denver, just haven't quite been able to um, unlock that potential. So. You know, the Spurs are going to, I think, ease him in to start, give him his opportunities, and um, hopefully put him in a position to, you know, really, really shine. The King's Pulse podcast is recorded and hosted on Anchor. It is the easiest way to make a podcast, and it is 100% free. It gives you everything you need to record, edit all of it so it sounds smooth and professional, and upload it all from your phone and or your computer. They distribute your podcast to every major platform. They give you an opportunity to make some money in the process as well. Download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Hey guys, just want to give you a quick reminder that if you like what you're listening to, we'd really appreciate a quick rating and review of the podcast on itunes or wherever you're getting this podcast and if you want to follow us on twitter we'd love to interact with you we can take your questions answer them on the podcast as well that is at kings underscore pulse we also got an instagram kings underscore pulse and we are the official podcast of uh reddit r slash kings we got a sticky thread on there if you want to ask questions so we really appreciate it and and thank you very much for listening Hey, your big rotation's interesting to me. Can you break down what you think it's going to look like with, you know, Pirtle was starting next to Aldridge a lot last year, but I don't really see a backup center on this team unless you're considering Lyles or Samanchich. So how do you see the rotation between, uh, between those four, Aldridge, Pirtle, Samanchich, and Lyles? 
Yes, so, so I think Simon mentions the way the team told us to pray. Okay, I'm not sure, <laughs> uh, but I'll just go with that. Um, but Samanich, as as a rookie in San Antonio, you never really want to pencil him in for uh, many minutes, especially right. I think uh, they're 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 looking for him to I think put on a bit of uh, weight as well to be able to handle um, playing the the four or five in, in the NBA. But um, so I I don't know if I would really include him right now. So. Um, uh, like you said, the five really players that can play it and, and trust are, are Lamarcus and Pirtle. Um And both because of that and also because the um, net rating of the two of them playing together was not that great last year, um, even though Pirtle himself was uh, a real positive. Uh, the, the numbers just didn't really like the two of them sharing the floor, I think mostly because of um, just the, the spacing issues. I think Pirtle really makes sense as that backup center again. So um, you'd see the two of them taking most of the minutes at the five. Um, a little bit maybe sprinkled of a small ball five with someone like Lyles or uh, uh, perhaps like a Chemezi Metu, uh, who they drafted and uh, at the in the second round um, leave last year. Uh, and they really liked him. So um, he could get a chance. He, he had a pretty decent uh, FIBA World Cup plan for Nigeria. So there could be a chance there. But yeah, they're, they're, pretty, they're pretty lean. Uh, up, up, up front. So it'll be if, if there's an injury, then someone like uh, Samanich may uh, get get his opportunities fast. But uh, for now, I think it's going to really be uh, Pirtle and Aldridge at the five, and then you'll see the four. Uh, it'll be Rudy Gay and Damari Carroll for the most part. Uh, some opportunities there for Lyles as well, um, and then just a million guards uh, taking over the other uh, three spots. Yeah, and you know, we, we try to identify guys that are going to be taking steps forward uh, as well as steps back, and we'll get to that in a second. But, you know, there is a really interesting crop of young guys on this team. I would dare to say that the biggest players on this team are not the world's most exciting players. DeMar DeRozan, LaMarcus Aldridge, Rudy Gay, uh, some of the guys that have been here for a long time, Patrick Mills, right, Patty Mills, mm-hmm. Damari Carroll, even that addition there. These are not guys that like the paparazzi is following around. They're not the most exciting players in the world, but there is uh, a ton of excitement around guys like Lonnie Walker. Uh, you know, we've talked about Murray and White as well. Who, if you had to put your money down on a guy to take the biggest step forward of, of anyone on this team, who are you going with? I think it's got to be Walker. Uh, you know, uh, what you just, you, you just mentioned, White and Murray, they both got that really – a uh, big bump in their second year, kind of coming out of nowhere, spending most of their time with the Austin Spurs in the G League and uh, just really getting conditioned there to play a, a, to a specific role uh, while also uh, uh, spelling this, the Spurs system uh, in the G League. And, and then they just come out, shoot out the gate really strong. And uh, Walker, there was a chance that Walker was even going to get some playing time as a rookie, but he had a, an early season injury that sort of derailed that. But, uh, you know, you, you watch him on the floor, even uh, in summer league, and the guy just he looks the part. Um, he, he flies. Uh, I think Pop just said that uh, as fast as someone like DeJounte Murray, his white might be even faster. Um, and the athleticism is there. Um, and you, you, he had a standout performance in summer league. So uh, I, I think the, the minutes will be there. I think they're going to maybe take back the some of the opportunities and uh, playing time with guys like Patty Mills and Marco Bellinelli just a little bit uh, and allow – Lonnie Walker to, to go in there and um, you know it, it's, it's hard to see say exactly what his role will be on the team I think the team's just gonna the cops just gonna kind of let him go out there and uh, be a bit of a, a, a microwave for points and um, hopefully he'll be able to take to the defense fast and make plays there but I, I, I really like the, the potential for, for, for Lonnie Walker and uh, hopefully we start to see him uh, tease that uh, through the year. Yeah, and this guard rotation that you're talking about, you know, Murray, White, Forbes, and Patty Mills all are extremely serviceable point guards that uh, seem like they could all play the two a bit as well there, but four great rotation players and a bunch of wings. Does it feel like that uh, San Antonio might be a little bit active in potentially shopping one of these guys? You you never expect them to just because the the, the team, I think, they, they like their depth. They like um, they like keeping guys and building that on that continuity and, and they, they they don't really you know treat players so much as uh, as assets that they can just you know keep building um, uh, and just kind of mixing in 
new talent when they can. They, 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 that's not really the way the Spurs operate. But um, you know, I, I think anything's possible. It's, it's 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 a question whether with with the few remaining years that you expect Pop to have, whether um, packaging a few of these guys together and going after a bigger piece makes sense. Um, going going for that real upgrade in, in a position and swinging for um, one of these stars that uh, seems like uh, the Cavs are. Uh, not Kevin Love, but you know a, a Bradley Beal if they could. Uh, John Hollinger at the Athletic uh, recently wrote a piece that sort of um, looked at the Spurs as a potential uh, mover using some of those pieces. So it's not uh, their character to do so, but um, a lot of things that have been a bit out of character in San Antonio have happened lately. So it, it, you don't really want to just use that as uh, your your paradigm for what you expect for them, but. Um, you, it, it's, it's not likely, but it, it would make sense if they did. Yeah, so moving to players that could take a step back, this is an interesting team because there's a lot of young guys and there's a lot of old guys. Uh, there's a lot of vets, and then there's a lot of uh, you know guys in their, on their rookie contracts. And, yeah, I mean, I'm just looking at it right now. There's six guys with 10 years or more of experience, Aldridge, Bellinelli, Carroll, Gay, Mills, and DeRozan, and then everyone else has is in their fourth year or less, has four or less years of experience. Um, but looking at this older group of guys, maybe, uh, and I and I suppose it could be from the younger guys as well. But who's going to be seeing a diminished role? Who's going to be taking the biggest step back in terms of production this season? Uh, in terms of role and production, I think some uh, a pair of, of the guys that you mentioned specifically because of. Uh, the younger guys that are coming up, but, but Patty Mills uh, and, and Marco Bellinelli, I think, are the, the players that you generally hope aren't getting more minutes next year, just because um, defensively they're they're not uh, the strongest, and um, you know they're 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 not the type of guys that need heavy minutes either. They're 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 veterans who um, have they they know what to do to keep their bodies fresh, and when when they're put in, they can. Uh, knock that three or, or make the, the right play. They, they know the system. So uh, I think that's generally what the fans are hoping for is to see in terms of minutes and, and role on the team, uh, guys like that take a step back. Now, in terms of uh, uh, actual efficiency and output, uh, I think you, you probably need to start with LaMarcus Aldridge, who uh, you said is fully 34 um, and is coming off one of his most efficient offensive seasons last year. I think he shot uh, for around 50 in the 50s uh, from the field, maybe 52% from the field. Um, and, and those are hard shots for a uh, player to get off in, in, in this NBA. One of the few kind of ways I think that um, offensive players aren't really uh, kind of protected now is uh, in the post. Uh, if the game doesn't really cater to them, and it, it, it allows guys to get a little bit chippy still there and uh, push people off their block. And, you know, that, that gets tougher every year with Aldridge. Um, and it can, it, you, you've seen games where uh, the right kind of aggressiveness can really throw, uh, throw him off his game. So um, he had an excellent year last year, and he, he got plenty of volume. Some of that might uh, not be as reliable uh, moving forward. So I think he is uh, maybe a good person to identify. Still having probably a, a good year next year, but maybe not as um, dominant as he was for large stretches of last year. Yeah, and we like to identify some of the strengths and weaknesses of this team. I think we've kind of pointed out perimeter defense and potentially playmaking, but what are some of the other positives and uh, negatives that you see for this roster next year? Uh, well, positives, I think you still, like, it, it's, it's pop. <laughs> like, he's, you know, he, he, is, he is the Spurs right now, and he uh, just has su- such a way of, um, you know, putting every player where they need to be on the floor um, and just maximizing strength. So, um, you're going you're to see the best version of a lot of these guys, and they're not, um, you know, world beaters on paper in terms of uh, you know roster strength. But um, he, he's he's really going to he's going to gain the, the the schedule. He's going to know how to uh, rest guys when he needs to. He's going to get uh, some surprise performances out of these uh, fringe players. And uh, I think you, you start with him as a strength. But beyond that. Uh, they team have a lot of continuity that they can now play on, which uh, they didn't have last year. They retained a lot of their um, core, I think. And John Schumann uh, of, uh, of NBA.com tweeted uh, his continuity rankings, and the Spurs were in the top five in terms of returning minutes. 
So um, that kind of familiarity is just uh, the type of thing that you need for the regular season to um, really avoid stumbling much and um, trying to, to survive uh, through through injury and whatnot. So I like that. Um, in terms of weaknesses, uh, just just like last year, the, the, the math in terms of uh, analytics is not going to be in their favor. Uh, they, they still had a, an incredibly efficient offense last year. I think they finished sixth or seventh in terms of offensive rating, which is when you look at the way they were built. But uh, it, it, it's it's tough to eke out those wins sometimes when you don't have the three ball and you can't uh, you know end up going uh, 15 for for 33 or making in the, in the high teens, um, you know, the Spurs aren't built that way. So they're going to these games are going to be a bit of a grind to win because of that. And um, with, uh, with losing Dallas Bertans last year, one of the top team top three point shooters, uh, the Spurs, who I think were last in the league in three pointers made, uh, we may see that same ranking again this year. Yeah. You know, you mentioned continuity as a strength for this team and that's certainly true. Uh, and continuity is, you know, is a good thing, absolutely. But I feel like there's kind of a mirror image to it, which can be a bad thing, which can be a weakness, which is not adding anything to this team. There, there's no, there was very few additions to this team. It didn't feel like, you know, we can talk about Lyles, we can talk about, um, you know, Samana. Uh, sa- sorry, now I'm really, you said it, you both said it in a different way. Uh, Salmon, not Salmon, Samanich? Samanich. No. Samanich Sam- or Samanich, I think, or one of those, <laughs> one of those two. Samanich. All right, I'm going to go with that. You can, just, you you know. can just call him Luca if you want. Yeah, all right, Luca. Yeah, there we go. Uh, <laughs> it, might, it might confuse the Mavs fans, but it works for this one. Spurs, Luca, and Trey Lyles, you know, may be interesting pieces down the road. Don't really feel like they're going to add wins this season. So in terms of players that are going to bring something positive to the team, this might be – of all the teams in the league, this might be one of the least impactful off-seasons that was out there. Um, and I wonder if you are concerned about that at all in the West because there are so many teams that are adding tons of new talent. There are teams that are, uh, you know, they're so young and they're adding so much young talent. I mean, you know, the other Luka, uh, Dallas, uh, you know, Dallas is Luka. Uh, yeah, other, Chris- other Luka works. Other Luca, Luca number two, uh, you know, with in Chris Stapps uh, being added there as well. And they did, you know, we, we talk about Dallas having kind of a disappointing offseason, but, you know, they did add pieces. I mean, they added Delon Wright, they added Seth Curry. Uh, you know, you look at New Orleans, obviously uh, lost Anthony Davis, but they're adding so much young talent that is going to improve as time goes on. Are you concerned about the Spurs' ability to keep up when there are so many other teams making moves around them? Uh, you know, it, it, it depends how you look at it. If, if you're trying to look at this team as a potential contender, um, I, I just I don't I don't think that's this 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 coming year. That it, it it's just the the field is just too too strong. I think, and uh, a lot of teams just have that higher end talent that San Antonio lacks. But uh, in terms of continuity being a uh, weakness, uh, I, I I I don't think that's yearly. Um, an issue with San Antonio. Um, this summer specifically, it made sense because um, this is a team that is uh, trying to make sense of its young roster and it has a lot of flexibility uh, two years from now. Um, but I think even this year, you know, that, that the continuity is always a strength in San Antonio because the system is, is sort of a sixth man. And, um, you know, it, it, it really, um, the players that learn it tend to thrive in it and um you know you see uh guys who um you know their their talents really are maxed out in san antonio and a lot of that just has to do with um being used the right way understanding their roles um and i and and just the the young players that are brought in and grow from within so um you talk about minimal um acquisitions but a, a guy like lonnie walker who uh, is on the roster, but spent all of last season really familiarizing himself and um, learning what kind of player the Spurs want him to be and working on that in Austin. And um, I think that's, you know, it's it's uh, a unique Spurs-centric way of, of kind of acquiring somebody and bringing them in because he's a guy who no, no one's going to be too familiar with him. Um, I think we're going to see really positive things from him 
relatively soon. Now, is, is that um, maybe a sustainable way for them to operate in, in this new NBA where um, players aren't necessarily staying uh, into that second contract? I, I don't know. But um, I think the Spurs, at least uh, for the time being, are built pretty well with um, the, the pieces that they have. And you know, I think they'll be building upon last season with like, uh, you know, a marginally better season this season. But, you know, in, in, in the larger picture, they, they should still be pretty well, uh, well uh, stocked as well. Yeah, I really like what you said about the organization kind of being a six man and that, uh, yeah, you know, when a, when a franchise runs as smoothly and as professionally as San Antonio does, it certainly, uh, it, it helps so, so much. It, it helps much more than it can be seen on paper. Um, and just uh, wanted to clarify my comments about continuity potentially being a weakness. It's not that I feel that continuity is a weakness in and of itself, but I think the risk or, or my concern or my question comes in more when the continuity is with aging guys. So, you know, obviously we've talked about that a little bit with Gay and DeRozan and Aldridge, but you, it sounds like you feel, and I don't want to put words in your mouth, but does it, does it sound like you, you feel, uh, do you feel that the, the youth on this team is, is still strong enough to keep up with the growth in, in other more youth-focused teams around the league? Sorry, can you say that last sentence again? Do you feel like the youth on this team, uh, because there's so many aging stars, so many aging core pieces, do you feel like the the ability to develop the the younger piece on, on this team is going to be able to keep up with the other teams in the West? Like I mentioned, Dallas, the Pelicans, you know, even the Kings. There's just so much built into uh, what should be an improving team if De'Aaron Fox and Marvin Bagley are getting so many minutes, if they're the focus of the team, focus of the coaching, and there aren't sort of I guess uh, more veteran players potentially there that could be aging and digressing. Um, I, I think the veterans, the, the, the Spurs generally like to have at least a few of them around. I think there, it's you know they, they, you always harp on about intangibles when you talk about San Antonio, but um, a guy like Patty Mills is just he 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 is a culture setter, um, and he he does just I think a lot to um, tr- translate to, to the players on the floor when, 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 when pop screams something or whatever, you have a guy who, um, can just quickly get in a huddle and, and let everyone know where they, where they need to be. Um, and again, it, it's not something that'll show up in, in Patty's, uh, box score. Um, but it's, it's, it's a pretty key thing. And I, I think the Spurs do get criticized a bit for, um, overextending the, the love for the, the, the older guys and holding on to them a bit too long. Um, but uh, there, there is a value in that that is a bit uh, understated. Um, but in terms of like this team's ability to hang with uh, some of these teams, like you, you said, Sacramento's got a really uh, promising young core, uh, Dallas, and uh, you could go on. Um, I, I, I like it because there's um, a lot of guys who are growing together, and I think the Spurs have really um, targeted – uh, complementary pieces in this, and um, you're going to start to see that next next season and the, the year after that when uh, this year's rookies uh, start getting worked into the mix. But um, I, I think the pieces all make sense together, and I think that's really important. I think the Spurs, um, because they have this uh, ability to hold on to pop, and the the execs aren't worried about their jobs and don't have to make necessarily uh, win now moves. Um, they're able to take a look at things a bit more holistically and with the longer term. And um, I, I think the vision makes sense with the team. Um, now, if, if it's going to be able to get them back into that, you know, top tier conversation that they had been for, for so long, it's, it's, it's hard to say. I think that's always going to be a bit of a gamble, even with teams that have a uh, um, really elite talent, right, young talent right now. Um, but um, I think, I think you have to, you have to like it, especially with um, what they were given and how they, um, had to operate not working within the lottery. Um, I think you you have to be really happy with uh, the pieces they have. And um, again, always counting on the uh, organization itself as a strength and, and propping those guys up. Um, I think the future is uh, pretty good. Rich mentioned it at the top that we've kind of identified San Antonio as a team that uh, skeptically uh, could be the ones that fall out and Sacramento potentially taking their place. I mentioned to you it also before we had started recording and you thought that there were maybe other teams falling out that teams should be focusing on. Uh, before we get to San Antonio specific, 
win total, what other teams in the West are you kind of feeling like are more likely to fall out than San Antonio? Oh, um, I don't know if um, there are too many, I guess, specific ones. The thing with San Antonio is I guess I always identify them as a team that's going to kind of survive the, the attrition of a regular season uh, better than others. So um, it's, they're, the, typically they're going to avoid the, the, the scandals and, and um, internal issues. Obviously, the quiet thing was a big um, uh uh, outlier with that, but uh, in general, I think the the thing about the Spurs, I think that that probably bodes well for them making it to that seventh or eighth seed and not dropping out is is just I think their ability to sustain the um, the organizational issues that generally uh, afflict like a, a Minnesota last year or whatever. There, there's um, I, I think that's one strength, but um, in ge- yeah, if, if we're talking about other teams, there, there aren't any specific ones I think that make uh, particular teams especially likely to to drop. I think um, it's more of just a, a Spurs against the field thing to um, creep into that. Uh, I don't know, maybe six through eight spot is is where I see them uh, kind of ending up. Um, but yeah, nothing, especially you know a team like Sacramento, they they could just as easily. Uh, sneak their way in there as well. I think it's um, it's a it's a tough field in the West of uh, around 12 teams that are um, really going to be duking it out, and um, any one team can lose to the other. So yeah, to go down the list here, I'm going to do them in order. Uh, these are these are the teams projected to be playoff teams according to the consensus in Vegas. We got the Los Angeles Clippers first, Utah Jazz second. Houston Rockets third, Denver Nuggets fourth, Los Angeles Lakers fifth, Golden State Warriors sixth, and then Spurs and Blazers are pretty much tied at 47 wins at that seventh and eighth spot. And then there's a pretty significant drop-off where you got to go down to 41 wins for the Mavericks, uh, 39 for the Kings, 38, 39 for the Pelicans right in there. Um, yeah, that eight feels, I think, at least moving into the season about right now. If, if, if it, it may be a coin flip as to, or, or, or even better, that um, it's not that eight. And that a team like Sacramento um, goes in. I'm not too big on Dallas um, or the Pelicans going into next season. I think both I'd, I'd, I'd rather wait and see. Um, but a team like the Kings, who was so, who were so close for most of last season, uh, could definitely surprise. Um, but, but I think that eight, just given the, the, the pedigree of those teams and just um, what we know about them and, and, and their, their top level talent sounds about right. Um, now for the Spurs at 47, uh, I think I would go just a little bit higher, like not maybe not even to the 50s, but I think 49 is the number I've sort of fallen in love with just because it's, uh, they were 47 uh, the year before last and 48 last year. So I'm, I'm just defaulting to 49. Um, uh, as a symbolic uh, nominal improvement. Um, but that, that, that's more or less where I see them. So that, that, that would end up shaking out as probably a seven-ish seed. Right, which sounds about right to me. I, I understand that. I mean, that's the eight that I have as well. I believe it's Rich's eight as well. You can correct me if I'm wrong there. Um, because, you know, it, it is just difficult. It's a great group of teams. And even the three after that we mentioned, Sacramento being in there as well, are quality teams. Um, and we did skip over one thing here that I want to get from you, and that is what the, you project the starting lineup to be for this team. Uh, I mentioned to it to you a little bit. It's extremely hard to pick with some of these. Uh, who do you feel like the five will be to start the year and the closing five as well for this team? Yeah, starting five is uh, one of the questions that's sort of marinating on the minds of a lot of the media people here. It was um, sort of alluded to uh, at media day when people are trying to ask that, uh, someone like DeJounte or Derek uh, what they're sort of expecting. And um, it's it's going to be very interesting how the team juggles that because if, if they're to prioritize pure talent and upside, they may want to see DeJounte and Derek uh, in the starting lineup together with DeMar and then say LaMarcus uh, plus um, either another big like Jakob. I don't think that's the case. I think Jakob will be, will be benched, but then uh, at the four, somebody like Rudy or Damari Carroll. Now, if you have a three trio of Damar, uh, 
Derek and DeJounte. It's always tough with all the D's on this team. Uh, but uh, there's not much space in there, and that's no secret. And I don't think the Spurs are necessarily going to want to start the year with um, uh, a clear problem that they need to sort out. So uh, my guess, to answer your question, uh, is them rolling back a backcourt from last year of uh, Derek White and Bryn Forbes, who uh, gets overlooked a lot in all these conversations with all of the um, kind of higher upside young guys. Forbes is, I believe, 26 now after this summer, um, but he's he was the best three-point shooter on the team last year, and it's, that's something that uh, Pop's going to need to inject to a lot of these lineups just to keep defenses honest. Um, so I, 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 I like to see at least to start out the year um, that sort of backcourt with DeMar DeRozan at the three, uh, and then it'll be sort of a uh, maybe a coin flip between Rudy Gay or Damari Carroll at the four. Um, let's just ostensibly say Damari Carroll and then LaMarcus at the five. So uh, to uh, put the, question, the answer to the question in one sentence, I'll say uh, Derek White, Bryn Forbes, DeMar DeRozan, Damari Carroll, and LaMarcus Aldridge would be my guess at a um, – starting five to start out the season uh to close out games uh i think then you would ideally want to start seeing that Dejounte and Derek white duo and then maybe rudy gates supplanting uh damari carroll as the as the power forward yeah so here's the thing like those lineups don't shout 49 wins to me they don't shout 47 wins to me they don't shout seventh or eighth seed to me what does is, as you've mentioned a couple of times now, the sixth man of this team being the organization and the head coach being Greg Popovich. So whenever I'm making my list, my projections of, you know, what my eight Western Conference playoff teams are, I, I just write the Spurs in there. I don't even – I don't consider them not being in the playoffs because of the franchise, the organization, how it runs, Greg Popovich, their coach. And, of course, there are some – good players in that mix as well, but it just doesn't scream playoff team to me when you put it how you put it. Uh, and <laughs> yeah, I, I just, it's just one of those things where I'm unwilling to count a Greg Popovich team out of the playoffs for however long he's on this team. So w- coaching this team. So, you know, that's our final question. We usually ask to project a little bit down the road, three to five years where you see this team headed. And I think the, the main question in that is, you know, is Greg Popovich going to be coach and and for how long? And, you know, what is that going to mean for the Spurs in three to five years? Uh, It's a really good question. Now um, is, you know, three to five years sounds like a really long time when you think about pop being uh, 70 years old. Um, And just, you know, it's, it's, it's been a long run for him. He's going to, I think if, if he just coaches the next, two or three years he'll he'll be the outright all-time regular season wins leader um uh so you know he's, he's been at it a long time and uh it, it's just it's it's really going to be up to him when he walks away um and i think three to five years is a realistic uh sort of window to think about uh the team moving on from him and uh who knows who would i guess step into that void if it might be somebody like uh becky hammond now who's uh kind of stepped into that uh you know um, de facto lead assistant role. So um, that in itself is going to be a huge change for this team just because of what he has been in, in terms of not only a tactical mind, but um, a culture setter. And, um, you know, he, he is the Spurs um, right now, really, when you, when you think about the, the identity of this team. So that in itself would be a huge change. But um, I think the team's done a lot to, to lay the groundwork in terms of um, – the, the 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 talent moving forward the, as, as you mentioned how many young guys are on this roster right now and I see a lot of them forming part of that uh, that team three to five years from now you could be looking at um, a backcourt of DeJounte and, and Derek White as one of the best defensive backcourts in the NBA um, somebody like Lonnie Walker who I think has borderline all-star potential um, as a that that, that uh, third piece as a uh, player on the wing and uh, who knows if uh, Pertle Simonich uh, whoever else they draft moving forward, uh, Kelvin Johnson will, um, I think, be a nice, impactful player in a few years. So um, I think it'll be a lot of the, this, a lot of familiarity, which is what happens with the Spurs. So a lot of these names should still be around, but um, uh, I think a lot also b- b- pivots on 
the summer of 2021 when they're going to have a lot of cap space and see if they're going to kind of put that to use as to be um, uh, moving, movers and shakers or if they're going to make a move beforehand to absorb somebody into that uh, space and take on a contract that another team uh, may not really want to uh, be holding on to. So I think a lot of familiar faces in terms of the roster, maybe a new face uh, uh, at the at the front of the bench uh, in Pop's uh, position. Yeah, it'll be weird for the entire NBA, but uh, it's been how many years in a row has it now been that you've San Antonio's made the playoffs? Do you know off the top of your head? It, it's 22 or 23. So uh, from 1998 to uh, I think 22. Jeez, yeah. And meanwhile, we're sitting here in this 13-year playoff drought. You should. It's upsetting to hear, to be honest. So, uh, <laughs> but uh, uh, that's all that we have for you, Bruno. We want to give you a chance at the end here to plug anything and everything that you got going on, man. Oh, well, I appreciate that. Uh, yeah, so I, I write uh, exclusively at uh, Pounding the Rock, which is SB Nation's uh, San Antonio Spurs blog, so you can find all my stuff there. If you uh, want to follow me on Twitter, which I wouldn't really recommend, uh, I'm at uh, Bounce Passos. So uh, those are the two places online that you can find me. Perfect. Well, thanks for coming on, man. And uh, thank you to everybody for listening to this episode of the King's Pulse podcast. You will hear from us again in the next couple of days.